So when I was asked to speak on this message today, ice cream is good for your soul, I couldn't believe it because somehow they managed to give this topic to the one guy on the teaching team who is extremely lactose intolerant. Because for me, ice cream is literally not good for me because my body completely rejects it. But the title, ice cream is good for your soul as long as you remember to take lactate pills, doesn't have quite the same ring to it. So before you begin, why don't you take a minute and share with maybe someone next to you or in the chat what your favorite ice cream brand and flavor is. And if you're lactose intolerant like me, maybe you can share your favorite sorbet flavor. So today I feel like it's my duty to educate some of my friends here watching about Korean ice cream because they are some of my favorite ice creams. So here's actually one of my favorites called Samanko. And if you haven't had ice cream, and if you haven't had ice cream in the shape of a fish before, this could be your first time trying. <laughs> the second one is another favorite of mine called, called Melona. And if your Korean friend ever gave you ice cream before, it's probably this one. It's really popular. They have it in Costco now. There's nothing fancy about it. it tastes like an artificial melon, but it's just a classic. This next one is called Pangpare, also a classic. Now you might be thinking, doesn't this just look like a regular vanilla ice cream cone? And yes it is, but trust me, it's just more delicious than that. And I don't even have time to get into the shaved iced pinsu category, which could lead to a 45 minute presentation if you would like. Because as lactose intolerant as I am, just thinking about these ice creams fills my heart and soul with so much happiness and joy from all the memories I have of eating them throughout my life. You all probably have your own ice cream related memories. Maybe it's hearing the ice cream truck jingle play in your neighborhood on a hot summer day. Maybe it's going to your favorite local ice cream spot where you always get the same flavor. So when I say ice cream is good for your soul, I'm talking about what ice cream represents. Pure, unadulterated joy and happiness. And I sense that some doctor friends uh, who might be watching might be thinking, well, actually, vegetables are good for your soul. And okay, okay, we get it. And I respect that. But I'm willing to bet most of us don't have a ton of broccoli-related memories that evoke the same kind of pleasure I'm talking about here. But even if you really don't like ice cream, there's probably something in your life that either fills or once filled you with the same kind of feeling of pure joy. Maybe it's listening or playing music. Maybe it's eating chocolate or playing video games. For me, honestly, one of the things that gives me the most joy is sports. It's also unfortunately the thing that also gives me the greatest pain. But something about watching sports fills me with an immense joy and satisfaction that I just cannot explain. I actually have a video here to show you ex the exact kind of joy I'm talking about. So this video um, is a video of me at a Celtics game trying my best to get on TV. And that little dance move I have at the end is a dance move of pure satisfaction. See, God has gifted us with so many things to give our lives pleasure and joy. And I know God wants us to be people filled with joy because one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. But when was the last time you felt that same kind of pure joy recently? Because I can imagine some of us desperately need some joy in our lives today. I'd be willing to bet for some of us, the moments of joy in our lives are far fewer than the moments of sadness, unhappiness, anxiety, and worry recently. And oftentimes when we talk about joy or happiness in the church, we talk about it in a very singular way. If you're going through something difficult, we might have heard something like this. 
Don't let those sad emotions control you. Joy is not a feeling, it's a choice. So choose joy. As if life was that simple. And yes, there's definitely some truth to those statements. But I think what we miss a lot of times is how. How can I experience that joy? Am I supposed to just grit my teeth and pretend like nothing is happening in my life? I don't think that's what God desires out of us. So how can we experience more joy in our lives? How can we be people who embody the joy of God in our lives? Well, maybe we all just need to eat a little more ice cream. And before you call me blasphemous, let me show you what I mean here in Scripture. Genesis 1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. As I was talking about joy earlier, I think some people might be channeling their inner Ecclesiastes and want to shout at me, pleasure is meaningless. We shouldn't be delighting in the things of this world. And we probably carry that maybe from some of our upbringings because I was brought up that way too. All throughout my life, when whenever we talked about the enjoyment of earthly things, it was immediately followed up with, but make sure you don't enjoy it too much. My dad, who knows how much I love and get invested into sports, would always tell me the same thing every single time I got overly committed to a sporting event. I could be jumping up and down in front of my TV watching a Celtics game, and he would go, Hey, John, uh, do you have any friends on the Celtics? I'd say, No, not personally. And his response would be, Well, you're not their friend either. Why do you care so much about this? It was his way of jokingly telling me that I should moderate how much pleasure I get out of sports. And yes, of course, pursuing after pleasure is something that can be dangerous, unmoderated. But sometimes I think churches can be so concerned with talking about the dangers of pleasure that we may have mistakenly begun to believe the idea that God is anti-pleasure. And instead of a place where we come to learn about delighting in the beauty and the gifts of God, instead the church can feel like a place where the pleasure police gather together to get their next assignment so that they can go monitor and police anyone in the world who dares to enjoy the gift of life a little too much. But isn't it interesting that we just read that in Genesis 1, God's introduction to the world, one of the first things God wants us to know about Him is that He took pleasure in His creation. He said that His creation was good. It wasn't just plain old vanilla. But he says it not just once, but four more times throughout the creation story. The phrase, God saw that it was good, is him figuratively taking a step back and taking in the beauty and delighting in what he had just created. It's kind of like my daughter who brings home art projects from school and she wants us to hang them all over the room so that we could all admire and take in the joy of her handiwork, no matter what it looks like even though it might look like this abstract self-portrait she drew a couple of weeks ago. But do you know what's really interesting about that word good in Genesis? The Hebrew word here can be defined as this, to be pleasant, delightful, delicious, sweet, or savory in taste. I'm not making this up. 
In scripture, the word good is also the same word that also denotes something delicious, something sweet in taste. God delights in his creation in the same kind of way we delight in eating something sweet, like ice cream. And because we are made in the image of God, our brains are wired to experience joy and pleasure just as God delights and takes pleasure in his creation. Our brains literally release certain chemicals when we eat sweet things like ice cream that gives us that sensation of joy. And interestingly, when he finally creates humans on the sixth day, he didn't say that it was good. He makes a distinction. He said that it was very good. He's saying that humans aren't that cheap, target, brand, good and gather ice cream. No, humans are that beautiful Richardson's, Bedford, Kimball Farms, fresh, local ice cream good. And it's so beautiful that in the creation story, before God moves on to the next thing, he makes sure to marvel and to delight in what he had just done. I think humans have a tendency to do the opposite. As soon as we finish something, we're worried about the next thing that we need to get done. But here, God, instead of moving on to the next thing quickly, he shows us what it looks like to be present, to pause, and to take delight and joy in what is happening at that moment. So when I say we should all eat a little more ice cream, I'm saying that just like God pauses to delight and take pleasure in what he has created, we should spend more time pausing to take delight and pleasure in what is beautiful around us. You see, the magic of ice cream, music, sports, is that they all almost force our minds to remain in the present moment. It makes you take notice of the beautiful things that are in front of you. When you're watching a Celtics game and Derek White hits a game-winning putback to save the season in the playoffs, you start celebrating. It's almost impossible not to enjoy that moment as the shot goes in, no one is like, ah, I can't believe I have a deadline for that project so soon. When you're eating ice cream, no matter what's going on in your life, it's hard not to enjoy the taste of that ice cream. Ice cream helps us to, taste, to stay present and just to enjoy its sweet flavors. That's why ice cream is good for your soul. It helps you enjoy and take notice of the beautiful things that are present around us. Have you ever met someone who regularly delights in life like that? Because if I'm being honest, I am certainly not that kind of person. I don't know if you had this in your high schools, but each graduating class my school, in my high school voted on superlatives. Best dressed, best car, et cetera, et cetera. When I graduated high school, do you know what my classmates voted me as? They voted me as class pessimist and class moodiest. And when I found out, I got so upset because these were the least desirable superlatives. And I yelled at my friends who voted for me. And they're like, who voted? I was telling them, who voted for me for this? This is so outrageous, rigged. I want to recount. Why would anyone vote for me for something like this? They're like, John, this is exactly why we voted for you. See, now raise your hand in your rooms right now if you're a pessimist and can relate. Thank you for being honest with me because recently I feel like pessimists like myself have tried to rebrand ourselves as realists. But let's not lie to ourselves. We know what we are inside. And do you know who pessimists despise more than anything? Optimists. Why? Because they're just so happy about everything all the time. I want them to feel the misery I'm feeling. 
All kidding aside, I'm not saying all optimists are joyful and all pessimists are joyless. But there is something about people with an optimistic worldview that helps foster joy, a delight of life. So it got me thinking, who in scripture is that person? Who besides Jesus is the most joy-filled person who regularly delights in the present moment? Although there are many great candidates, the person that kept coming up again and again in my mind was Paul. And yes, he was actually quite grumpy at times. And being joyful doesn't mean you are never irritated or worried. But he exemplified the kind of joy I'm talking about today. In this passage that I'm about to read, the Apostle Paul is in the middle of quite a rocky road. He's currently under home arrest for preaching the gospel. But not only that, since he was imprisoned, other people, other preachers, saw that as an opportunity to shine and to steal the spotlight away from Paul. So when Paul heard about this, his reaction easily could have been one of jealousy or fear that everything he had tirelessly built up to that point would be taken by someone else while he was imprisoned. Have you ever felt that way before? Where you felt like someone was taking advantage of your circumstance, your vulnerability for their own gain? Classmates gossiping to people at school about something you did last weekend. A coworker taking advantage of your misstep to gain an edge and to climb up that corporate ladder. How do you become joyful in a circumstance like that? Let's see what Paul says for us here today. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Paul here does express his concern about his rivalry. But do you know what his conclusion was at the end? What does it matter? Who cares? He isn't worried about someone taking his spotlight or his shine or that he might become irrelevant. He eats ice cream, takes a step back and says, you know what? No matter what their motives, as long as Christ is being, being preached, that's great. So I'm going to rejoice in that. He's able to rejoice because he's being present and noticing the beauty of what was happening around him at that moment. Despite the ill motives of his peers, the present reality was that Jesus' name was being preached, and that's worthy of celebration. You know, it's hard to see the beauty of things around us in the midst of difficult situations, but we can learn from people like Paul. There's actually someone that I know and someone many of you might know if you've been to Grace Chapel before that really delights in life like this. Pastor Richard Rhodes has been on staff here at Grace for many years. And in my years of working with so many pastors throughout my life, I've actually never met anyone who regularly delights in life like Pastor Richard. When I first met Pastor Richard as a pessimist, I was really confused because I thought to myself, there's just no way he can possibly be this happy all the time. And I was wrong. <laughs> After six years of working with him, I can confirm that is indeed true. He has an uh, incredible ability to minimize the impact of outside circumstances from his present joy. 
And that has made such an impact on so many of us on staff, including myself. During my time here, uh, he was briefly our interim campus pastor in Lexington. And during our staff meetings, he introduced something he called the team win. And it was this really cute handmade trophy where after any big events at our Lexington campus, he would bring it into our meeting and declare a team win. And he would go around celebrating all the people that helped make that event successful. And alongside that, he would often bring in treats like ice cream or cake for the team to celebrate the occasion. He would also have something he called outstandings, where he would stick on a little, uh, he would stick on uh, a little Dunkin' Donut, an outstanding sign, which was to acknowledge an individual's outstanding work or care. Like most people, our Lexington team is always thinking and concerned about the many things to do and accomplish next. But those seemingly silly moments helped us to take the light in the present moment. And still to this day, the language of team win is something we use regularly in our Lexington team. See, that's the power of the, that's the powerful impact of those people who live with overflowing joy. Because joyful people help others find their joy as well. But as someone who cares deeply about mental health, I do want to make a disclaimer. Uh, For those struggling with mental health, I don't want to make it sound like that this is easy, and that as long as you eat ice cream and set your mind to it, you will feel happy. For some, the road towards happiness might be a little different, and that's why we do have mental health professionals. But I do believe that there is one main obstacle that prevents many of us from eating ice cream and experiencing joy in the present moment. I think that's the burden of the future. For some of us, we literally might not eat ice cream because we are burdened or worried about the future health ramifications to our body. Well, for some of you, I do actually have some good news. Research from a Harvard study has found that consuming at least half a cup of ice cream per week was associated with a 19% reduced diabetes risk. So do with that information what you want. But isn't it true that the burden of what might happen oftentimes prevents us from enjoying what is happening? One of the biggest ones for students is the burden of what might happen when you apply to colleges. Well, I have done enough to get into where I wanted to get in. And that burden hinders students from finding joy in their lives. There was research done recently where uh, two professors were doing a survey of international happiness data. And they found that rich countries have sadder adolescents than poor countries. But as they dug deeper, they found a little bit more of why that might be the case. This study found that countries with higher test scores and more rigorous education systems have more anxious and depressed teenagers. So what is it about modern education in our school systems that makes, that makes things so miserable for teenagers? One child psychologist suggests that it is most likely due to the stresses of getting into college that contribute most to this disparity in education and happiness. Places like Massachusetts, where education is of utmost importance, house the unhappiest teenagers in the world. And that is because if you want to get into a good college, you can't enjoy life now. You don't have time to enjoy the metaphorical ice cream 
There's no time to pause to just delight in the present reality and friends and things around you. You have to always be on top of what's next. Because of the rigors of the education system, they might not have been taught that it is good to delight in what is around them. And for many of us, we might still carry that into our post-school lives. The burden of the next promotion, the burden of where your kids will end up in life, can prevent us from enjoying what is happening in front of us. Some of us might have different burdens about the future that we are holding on to. Maybe you are waiting for the results of a biopsy, uncertain about the status of a meaningful relationship, financial unknowns after getting laid off. I'm not saying that the answers to these stresses is to just overindulge in ice cream. Because being joyful is not meant to be an escape from reality. But eating ice cream, joy, is just simply savoring what is in front of you. But the reason the Apostle Paul and people like Pastor Richard are able to walk with and embody joy is because of Jesus. When Jesus is born and the angels go to the shepherds to tell them about it, scripture says the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause, that will cause great joy for all the people. Jesus himself is what causes us to be able to have great joy. He came into the earth, became physically present into this world and imparted his joy onto others. But as people who believe in Jesus, the reason a fruit of the Spirit is joy is because He demonstrates to us that pain, sorrow, and even death is not the end. When Jesus was dying on the cross and breathing His last breaths, do you know what Scripture says helped Him endure through those moments? Hebrews says, Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross disregarding its shame. Scripture says, because of the joy awaiting him, he was able to endure the pain of the cross. Jesus knew that death would be conquered and that death wasn't the end. And although we may be carrying the burdens of the future with us, Jesus is teaching us here that we should carry with us the joys of the future. It is why Paul, a few verses later in our passage we read earlier, says, Christ in me is to live and to die is to gain. The joy being that although there may be pain and sorrow now, it will not last forever because death is not the end. So we go back uh, to that question I asked earlier. How do we experience more joy? Well, first, we literally can eat more ice cream, watch or play more sports, be silly with your kids, play more video games, listen or play music, do those little things that bring you joy. Let's give ourselves permission to do things that help us take pleasure in the beauty of the things in our present reality. When we do things that help us enjoy what is present in front of us, that's what also helps remind us that whatever discouragements or struggles we may be having now will one day be no more. The second is, I think we could practice remaining present. 
Well, one way that we can do that is by practicing mindfulness. Now, mindfulness is a really helpful mental health exercise that helps connect your mind with your body. It's something anyone can do, but it can be particularly helpful if you're feeling anxious, really overwhelmed, worried about the future, or have lots of thoughts in your mind. Practicing mindfulness doesn't like take your thoughts away and things that are going on in your life away, but it helps you to take a step back, to take a pause, and reconnect with the present. The idea is not to just clear the head of thoughts, but to be able to be present through it and to simply observe the thoughts without getting swept up in them. There are actually apps like Calm and Headspace that might, that are really easily accessible to help guide you through uh, mindfulness. But an example of my, an, um, uh, an example of a mindfulness activity that we might be able to practice here together is something called a five senses exercise. So I'm going to pause and give us a moment to practice mindfulness together. Let's start. If you begin to notice thoughts coming into your mind, that is completely normal. Our brains are designed to think, but we can learn to refocus our attention. Take this as an opportunity to be kind to yourself and not judge. Just notice that you are having thoughts. Then redirect your attention back to the present moment. So now let's listen to these instructions. Sit in a comfortable upright position with your feet planted flat on the ground. And rest your hands on your thighs or on your desk. Next, notice your breath. There's no need to breathe in any particular way. Just bring attention to each part of the breath the inhale, the exhales, and space in between. Now bring awareness to each of your senses. One at a time, I'm going to introduce us a time to be able to focus on each of these things. The point here is to focus on the present moment and how each sense is being activated in that moment. Let's begin. Here. Begin to notice all the sounds around you. Try not to judge the sounds, just notice them. They are not good or bad, they just are. Sounds might be internal, like breathing or digestion. Sounds might be close by or more distant. Are you now hearing more than you heard before you started? You may begin to notice subtle sounds you did not hear before. Now smell. Now shift your attention to notice the smells of your environment. Maybe you smell food. Maybe you might be becoming aware of the smell of something nearby you right now. The smells of books or paper. Sometimes closing your eyes can help sharpen your attention to that smell. Now see, observe your surroundings and notice the colors, shapes, and textures. If you really look, you may notice things that have gone unnoticed. Taste. You can do this one even if you don't have food in your mouth. You may notice an aftertaste of a previous drink or meal, or you can just notice your tongue in your mouth, your saliva, and your breath as you exhale. We often have tastes in our mouths that often go unnoticed. 
touch. This is the last one. Bring your attention to the sensation of skin contact with your chair, clothing, and feet on the floor. You can notice the pressure between your feet and the floor or your body and the chair. You can observe temperatures like warmth or coolness. You might take time to feel the textures that you noticed by sight a few moments ago. When finished, pause to notice how your body feels at this moment and compare how you feel now with how you felt five minutes ago. What has changed? Isn't it good to guide our minds to be in the present moment? Just a few weeks ago, as I was thinking about this very message, I was at church ready to record Pastor Brian's digital service message. And right before we were about to film, I got a call from our daughter's pediatrician. We had been going back and forth over the previous day about something we were concerned about. So I picked up my phone thinking that there might be a small update. But instead, he said that we should take Shiloh to the emergency room immediately. That's the last call you want to receive as a parent or anyone who has loved ones. And I immediately burst into tears, not knowing what those next 24 hours were going to look like. So filled with complete anxiety, I picked up my daughter and we go to the hospital and I could also pick up on my daughter's anxiety. She was confused. This wasn't the doctor's office that we typically go to. And she was actually most concerned with whether or not she was going to get a shot or not. But after waiting a little bit in the emergency room at Boston Children's Hospital, a nurse finally came in and she asked my daughter, hey, would you like an ice cream? Immediately, my daughter got excited. You could see that one question alone began, began to calm her nerves. And when she finally got her ice cream, I could see that joy in her face. It allowed her to be present and enjoy what was going on in front of her and not worry about what was to come. By the grace of God, everything ended up being okay for my daughter. But at that point, we didn't know what was going to come. We didn't know what that day had in store for us. But I was so thankful to God for that moment. Thankful that things like ice cream help us to pause, stand back, and delight in what was in front of us. So let's all eat a little more ice cream today. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the gifts of life, the things that you have given to us to be able to enjoy. I pray that those things would remind us of you, about how amazing, how beautiful you are, how you take delight in your creation. And would you help, Lord God, in the midst of things that we might be going through, hard circumstances, would those small joys remind us of the future joy that we might be able to have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.